This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first, since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. We now turn to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Brian. You know, difficult things sometimes happen, even when we're doing the right thing. And here in our passage this morning, we see Paul and Barnabas uh, at Pisidian Antioch, and they're on their mission of sharing the gospel, and as was their uh, custom, and as we'll see unfold in the book of Acts, uh, they go to the Jewish community, if there is one, and the community that they uh, are traveling to. They go to the synagogue, and, and they share the word of the Lord there first. And then from there, they go out uh, and they share it with others. And we'll notice this morning, as we, uh, as they share that, they're going to experience both those who receive the gospel and those who uh, reject it. And we're reminded even today in our life and in our world that people come to the gospel when they hear it, and there are others who, what? Reject the gospel. Uh, you're probably aware if you've been watching the news or reading uh, newspapers uh, about um, the persecution of Christians in places like Africa, in India, uh, in Syria, in Iraq, in Iran, and in places in the, in, the, in the Middle East. And there are those who today, uh, who are living for Christ, who are faithful in their witness and testimony, Yet, in doing so, uh, they're being persecuted. And uh, there are many, many uh, followers of Jesus uh, who are being martyred in Jesus' name. Now, I know sometimes here in the United States, we can feel removed from that. We can feel separated, isolated from that. But you know that we are members of one body. That is the body of Christ. And we're a part of... A family of believers. Uh, those who suffer for Christ in other places in the world, uh, they are a part of our body. 
And uh, we suffer with them. We should be aware of what's going on. We should be praying for them, interceding for them. Uh, one of the ways that I stay informed is I subscribe to a magazine called The, the Voice of the Martyrs. You ever heard of that, any of you? And uh, it gives you updates on what's happening in other places of the world where people are being martyred and they're suffering persecution in, in Jesus' name. And, and so I think we as a church... Uh, need to be deliberate in our prayers and our support uh, of those in other places in the world who are being persecuted and martyred uh, for Jesus. And uh, that support ought to come not only in prayer, but in supporting organizations like the Voice of the Martyrs, uh, or even with our own denomination, uh, where there is ministry going on in these places. So what I want to do this morning is uh, I just want to lead us in prayer. Can we do that? Let's bow our heads. Father, We, as the body of Christ, are aware that there are members of our own body who are suffering greatly for Jesus' sake in the world. And Father, we lift them up to you right now that uh, through our prayers and the the prayers of others, through the support of organizations and other believers, Lord, that they may feel uh, strength and encouragement, that by your grace you would continue to give them boldness, Lord, that their witness, even amidst persecution and in, in, in cases of martyrdom, Lord, that their witness would have an impact. That even those who persecute them might come to know you. And Father, we do ask in Jesus' name that, that you would thwart the plans of the evil one. That you would stop, Lord, the enemy and the advance of evil in the world. And that wherever you have raised up men and women of faith, Lord, that they may stand as a light in the midst of darkness. And Father, that they may be immovable, steadfast, always abounding in the work of the Lord, inasmuch as they know, Lord, that their labor, their sacrifice is not in vain. And so this morning, Father, we stand as a congregation with them, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Well, for us, living in the United States, um, we don't encounter that same kind of opposition that we're talking about this morning, or perhaps even that Paul and uh, Barnabas experienced in Pisidia and Antioch. Yet, we do know that we live in a a post-Christian era, where the message of the cross is offensive, especially in a in a culture that's very pluralistic, uh, where uh, objective truth is set aside for subjective experience. And as we, we talk about the Scripture, as we talk about the, the truth of the gospel, um, there are those who uh, would reject that, or even the fact that we would call it um, the truth, or try to argue from a, a place of objective truth, rather uh, than subjective experience. And so, although we uh, aren't experiencing the persecution and the martyrdom that brothers and sisters in Christ are experiencing in other places of the world, uh, we still are called to stand for Christ in our world, um, to both proclaim and to demonstrate the reality of who Jesus Christ is, and to share the good news of the gospel. In the covenant church, uh, we believe in the centrality of the Word of God. And we base our faith in God's Word. 
And uh, we want to be deliberate about sharing God's Word with those around us and in the world uh, and the places that God sends us to. Now, I know for myself, uh, there have been times, and perhaps you have experienced this too, where you sense that God is, is calling you to be a witness. Or there's an opportunity for you to share the gospel, and, and yet maybe there's a hesitancy, or there's a fear, uh, or you're concerned about if you do that, what will the ramifications of that be? Uh, I know there was one instance in my life, and Lori and I recall this, we had a family member who had two children. And uh, this family member uh, asked Lori and I to uh, invite these two children to youth group. I was a youth pastor at the time. And then to summer youth camp. And although they were not a follower of Jesus, they felt it was important for um, their kids um, to hear about the Christian faith. And so their children came to our youth group and they went to, to summer camp at Hume Lake. Um, Brian and Janelle, you know Hume Lake, don't you? That's right. That was very important in your faith development. And so these two children, they went to Hume Lake, and they heard the gospel, and they responded. And when they came back home, they shared with their mother, their parent, about the gospel and about what they had heard um, at camp. Well, lo and behold... Uh, the parent who had previously been very open and wanting their children to hear about the Christian faith, when their children responded um, to the faith, they were very, very upset. In fact, there was a, a point in time in which they called a meeting with Lori and me, and they said, listen, um, I don't mind that the kids go to youth group, but uh, I don't want them to hear uh, the message of hell and brimstone, uh, the message that people need to receive Jesus for forgiveness of sin and eternal life. And so uh, I'll allow them to go to youth group as long as you don't teach those things. And I said, well, um, I want them to come to youth group. And, and, you know, we teach the whole counsel of God's word. And when the scripture teaches about things of salvation and eternal life, when the scripture teaches about things concerning Jesus, uh, then I have to be faithful to teach God's word. And this person said, well, you know what that means, don't you? I said, well, no. He said, it means that uh, you can never see these children again, and I don't want anything to do with you. And I remember that, how painful that was, how hard that was. Uh, I loved the family. I loved her. I uh, loved the children. And I said, well, you know what? That, that, that's your choice. That certainly isn't what we want. And uh, as a result of those events, uh, we became estranged from those children and, and from those family members. Uh, that was a really, really difficult thing. We'd been invited to share our faith, but when we shared our faith and people responded, of course, the parent reacted um, and really kept us from having relationship after that. You know, that's not unlike what's happening here in our passage today. You see, Paul and Barnabas, you might recall, as we uh, left them in chapter 13 the last time, they began their missionary journey and they went to a place called Cyprus. 
and the proconsul there, uh, he, uh, Sergius Paulus, uh, was led to faith in Christ. And it's from there that they travel on to Pisidian Antioch. And in chapter 13, if you're looking in your Bibles, uh, really that begins in chapter 13, verse 13. And so they go to Pisidian Antioch. Now that isn't a surprise because that's where Sergius Paulus, the proconsul who comes to faith in Christ, that's where he's from. And so scholars believe that he actually gave a letter of recommendation which was done in the ancient world and sent uh, Paul and Barnabas to Pisidian Antioch, his hometown specifically, so they could share the good news that he had received. Now, there's a couple things that are very important as we look in this portion of Scripture. Number one, we see a shift in leadership. Uh, from this point on, we see the movement of the gospel focus around Paul's mission to the Gentiles. Previously, it was Peter and the Jews. Now it's Paul and a ministry to the Gentiles. In fact, even as we look here in the beginnings of this passage in Pisidian Antioch, we see now that Luke, as he's referring to to Barnabas and Paul, now switches it, and it's Paul and Barnabas, as if Paul now is identified as the leader of this movement. A couple other things here that are very important to note, that uh, they started the journey, as you might recall in the beginning of chapter 13, uh, with John Mark. He was Barnabas' cousin. But now as they go to Pisidian Antioch, for some reason, we don't know what it is, uh, John Mark leaves them and returns, goes back home. And of course, in Acts chapter 15, Paul refers to that as a, a desertion, that he actually deserted us, Paul says. And because of that, there's a... Um, an argument between Paul and Barnabas, and they actually split. And then Paul takes on Silas as a partner, and Barnabas goes on with John Mark. And so that's interesting as we read here in the beginning of this passage. Now, specifically, what happens here is they go to uh, the synagogue, which was Paul's habit on the Sabbath, and Paul shares a message. Now, this message is the first recorded message of Paul in the book of Acts, okay? And he's invited by the leaders of the synagogue um, to share. And in verse 16, he stands up and he begins to share the message. Now, the message he shares is a chronological message of evangelism, beginning with the Jewish people in Egypt, through the Exodus, all the way through to Jesus Christ. And what he's going to do here is he's sharing with them that God is sovereign in the affairs of man and specifically he's laying out a a history of God's plan of salvation not only for the Jews but for the Gentiles. And this is where he's going to get himself into trouble. You see, as he shares the message, the key verse uh, that, that really incites... Uh, the Jewish leaders of the synagogue to turn against them comes in verse 38 of chapter 13. He says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Okay? 
So what is Paul saying here in the synagogue to these Jewish believers? All right? Or excuse me, these Jewish people. Uh, Jews, some of them uh, proselytes, they were full converts to Judaism, and God-fearers who were Gentiles who were not converted to Judaism. What is he saying to them? He's saying that the law of Moses is not sufficient for your justification for your salvation. And in, in Paul's understanding of justification, the law of Moses was temporary. Uh, it was in between the time of God's promise to Abraham and the fulfillment of that promise in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so, like Stephen, way back in Acts chapter 7, where he saying, listen, the temple and the law, they're not what's important anymore. Paul here is doing the same thing. He's saying the law of Moses is no longer sufficient. And with the law of Moses, circumcision, which is a sign, if you will, of membership in into God's people, God's family. He's saying that that is not sufficient for your justification for the forgiveness of sin. And of course, as we want to read more about that, I would uh, encourage you to read Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11. Where, where Paul really speaks specifically about the message of the gospel as it relates to the Jews and the law and the, the need for salvation through Christ and, and, and how that message and, and salvation is for the Gentiles as well. And also the book of Galatians. Because in Pisidian Antioch, it's in the very southern part of an area called Galatia. Okay, In Pisidian Antioch is a very important Roman city very uh, much civil and uh, military affairs take place there. And so it's a very strategic place. And as they're ministering there, what happens? Well, the scripture says that there are Jews and proselytes, those who converted fully to Judaism, and they respond and they want to hear more. And so Paul and Barnabas during the week teach, but they're also invited to come back the next Sabbath and to share the message. And so they do that. And in verse 44 of chapter 13, it says, on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Now, this is significant because in this particular city, there was a temple And the temple was a temple to Augustus. They practiced emperor worship. Okay? And so here was a city of Gentiles, uh, who were, of course, we call them pagans. And they were worshiping the emperor. There was a temple that was dedicated to Augustus. And yet, the word began to spread. And the next week, when they came to give a message, it says, the whole city came out to hear what they had to say. Very, very significant. And of course, it says that as a result of this, that the Jews saw the crowds and they were filled with jealousy and they began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse upon him. Now, in our our 10 verses that we're looking at specifically this morning, uh, there are some very specific, specific passages I think we need to look at. One, of course, is verse 44. It says that the people gathered to hear the word of the Lord. 
So what did Paul and Barnabas bring? They bring the message of the gospel and how important the word of the Lord, how important our proclamation of the word is for people to respond to that message. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, as Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, he says this, he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And what we're going to find, uh, not only here in, in Paul's uh, speech in the synagogue and in what he shares, but later on in the book of Acts, is that he argues basically from four places. His arguments are about, uh, he uses as a basis the Spirit of God, Scripture, salvation history, and the cross. And all four of those he argues and he points to the necessity of Jesus Christ. And he says, you know, the law of Moses, it's not sufficient for your justification. Forgiveness comes through Christ. And so then in verse 48, the people gathered to hear the word of the Lord in 44. In verse 48, it says the people who accepted the word were glad and honored the word of the Lord. And then, as you look further here in 48, there's a really important part of that verse. It says that all who were appointed for eternal life believed. And of course, in Paul's understanding of salvation, it is the sovereignty of God. It is the providence of God, His grace that works in people's lives, that, that calls them, that draws them to faith in Christ. And here is a very strong statement. For all who are appointed for eternal life, they believe. They were appointed. In other words, it is God's sovereignty in the work of salvation in the lives of men and women, those who are drawn to Christ. It's the work of God in doing that. And of course, we look here in John six forty four. Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. Okay? No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And that's the sovereignty of God, the work of God in people's life, His grace uh, in people's life, being drawn to faith in Christ. And then in Romans 10, 12 through 13, Paul writes this, For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is the Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay? Central to his message. If the message is both for Jew and Gentile, it came to the Jew first, but because the Jews rejected it, then he takes it to the Gentiles. And so we see the people gathered to hear what? The word of the Lord. It says the people who accepted the word were glad and honored the word of the Lord. They glorified God. For his word, for the message of salvation. And then verse 49, it says this. It says, the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. Now, how do these people honor the word of the Lord? They glorified God for it and they began to share it with others. And so the whole area of Galatia is now hearing the message of the gospel through these Gentiles 
and through some who were Jewish or Jewish proselytes who came to faith in Christ. The word is spreading. God's people are active in sharing and proclaiming the word of the Lord, the word of God. In Romans 10, verses 14 through 15, in verse 17, it says this. How then can they call on the one in whom they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Consequently, verse 17 says, faith comes through hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. It's the centrality of the word of God in our lives, in the message of the gospel. And that is the message that God has called us to share in word as well as deed with others. And that's what's happened here to these converts in Pisidian Antioch. They are sharing the word and the word is spreading throughout the region of Galatia. And as you can see, that's why it's important to connect what we're reading here with the book of Galatians. All right? Because what's going to happen is the Jewish leaders in the synagogue who are offended and they're jealous, they begin to heap abuse upon what Paul and Barnabas are saying. Now, in some translations, it says that they blaspheme. In other words, what they begin to do is they begin to talk against Jesus. And in order to... Um, to drive Paul and Barnabas out of the town, they take these God-fearing women. These are women who are associated with a synagogue. They're, they're not converts to Judaism, but they're God-fearers. And these are women of very influential men in the town. And they incite them against Paul and Barnabas. And these women go to their husbands, who are people of influence in the town. And they turn, if you will... The, the town fathers against Paul and Barnabas. And as a result of that, they're persecuted and they have to leave. Now, we're going to read later on in chapter 14 that they come back around because they're concerned about these new converts and don't want to abandon them. And yet for a time, they're actually forced out of the city. Now, another important verse that we see is verse 51. Uh... It says, so they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And so you might recall in uh, Matthew 10, chapter 14, uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 14, that Jesus, when he was instructing his disciples, said, hey, when you go uh, to a town and you share about the kingdom of God, uh, if they reject you, leave that town and, and shake the dust from your sandals, Okay. And so when Paul and Barnabas leave Presidian Antioch, they symbolically, they actually shake the dust off their sandals. And really what they're saying is this. To the Jews who have rejected the gospel, who have rejected the message that the law of Moses is no longer sufficient for salvation, it never was intended to be sufficient for salvation in the first place. So in other words, the law of Moses, uh, that's not sufficient for justification. You need to come in faith in Christ. It's through Christ, his death on the cross. He paid for your sins. He justifies you. They rejected it. 
What do Paul and Barnabas do? They shake the dust off their sandals. Now, when a devout Jew had been in a Gentile area and returned, what, to Jerusalem or to Jewish land, before they entered, they thought the dust from the sandals from a Gentile area was so profane, they didn't want to bring it into a holy, sacred spot. And so before they came back in country, they would literally shake the dust off their sandals. And so by doing that, what Paul and Barnabas are saying to the Jews in the synagogue in Pisidia and Antioch is this. By your rejection of Christ, you are no better than a pagan. In fact, you can no longer even consider yourself a member of God's family. For it's only through Christ that you can, that you can be that. And so that is like the ultimate insult to them. Okay? So, that was their response to the rejection. What about for you and me? What about the opportunities that come into our life when, when you and I have the opportunity to share our faith in Jesus Christ? How do we deal with rejection that often follows, as in my own personal story? Well, I think there are three things that we can do that will help us to deal with that. Uh, that will help us to, to be faithful to the Word of God and to share our faith, even as Paul and Barnabas were faithful to share in the face of persecution. The first thing is, I think we can recount the fulfillment of God's promises and His marvelous deeds. We need to recount in our own lives, in our own understanding of the, of the Scripture, of the Bible, the fulfillment of God's promises and His marvelous Deeds. That's important for us, that we can have faith in God. Even as Paul, as he shared the message in the synagogue here in Pisidian Antioch, what does he do? He recounts the faithfulness of God's promises and God's marvelous deeds, culminating in the work and the ministry and the person of Jesus Christ. We need to do the same thing. When we do that, it gives us courage. It gives us resolve. It reminds us that God is faithful, that His Word is reliable, and that He is reliable in our lives to give us the strength that we need to be faithful to our call to share the gospel. I love this passage from 1 Chronicles 16, 23-24. We'll get that here. There it is. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim His salvation day after day. Declare His glory among the nations. His marvelous deeds among all peoples. The second thing we can do is we can live and serve in relationship with those who live to please God. We're a part of one body, the body of Christ. We're a part of a community of faith, a community of believers. And God has called you and me to live together in faith and to serve God faithfully. And together as His body, in the places that He calls us, in the places where we live, in the places where we have influence, to look for opportunity to share the message of the gospel. But to do that, we need to remember that we're not out there on our own. Paul went with Barnabas and, of course, for a time with John Mark. And we see Jesus sending out uh, the disciples uh, two by two. And so 
one of the things that gives us strength and encouragement and resolve is that we live and serve in relationship with those who live to please God. I love what Paul writes to the Galatians in Galatians 1.10. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And here's the challenge for you and me. Are we living to please people? Or are we living to be servants of Christ? And then in 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 15. Now this is significant because Timothy and his mother and his grandmother were from the area of Galatia. Okay? So put this now in context. Paul writes to Timothy, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, that's Galatia, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have been convinced of, because you know those whom you have learned it, from whom you have learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Okay? And then finally, we need to leave the outcome of our ministry, the outcome of of proclaiming the message. We need to leave that to God. Leave that to God. That's His... That's his work, what he does with that message in someone's life. And instead, focus on our heavenly reward. In 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 8, Paul writes this. He says, I planted seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So that neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their labor. I don't know about you, but my desire is to be faithful to my call to live for Christ in the world, to have a faithful testimony and a faithful witness, to look for opportunity, and as the Holy Spirit leads, to be deliberate about sharing the good news of who Jesus is. In 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, at the end of Paul's life, he writes this. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. And of course, what that is, he's using a metaphor. In Greek culture, a person who finished a race was was given a laurel wreath or a crown that was placed upon their head. And it signified that they had completed the race. They were faithful to finish the course that they began. And Paul looked forward to that. And so you and I should... And that should be an encouragement to us, even in the face of opposition, 
even when there are times when we are rejected, when there's persecution, that we know that there will be a day when we will hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. And in the end, I love the words of the Heidelberg Catechism. 1563. But these are great words. And it begins with a question. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who at the cost of his own blood has fully paid for all my sins and has completely freed me from the domain of the devil, that he protects me so well that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that everything must fit his purpose for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me, makes us wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. May that be the prayer and the intention of our hearts. So worship team comes forward. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, the testimony of those in the world who faithfully live for you, even in the midst of, of persecution. Father, we thank you for the example of Paul and Barnabas, uh, for those first believers in Pisidian Antioch. Although there was persecution, the Scripture says their hearts were filled with the Holy Spirit and with joy. And so, Father, this morning, might we be encouraged to live faithfully for you, Lord, to recognize that our lives are not our own. They've been bought with a price, the blood of Jesus Christ. And you have called us to be your faithful witnesses in the world. Today, tomorrow, and every day that you give us breath. Lord, would you strengthen us? Would you encourage us? Would you ground us in your word that we might be your faithful witnesses? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.